Hi, my name is Billy Corgan. I'm from the Smashing Pumpkins. I'm sitting here with Nick Cave. You're watching 120 Minutes. And uh, Nick and his band are on the uh, Lollapalooza tour. Nick, how did you get involved with Lollapalooza? Um, well, my manager rang uh, me up and told me that I was going to do this. No back taxes or anything? Well, no, no, no. Um, basically, we did, just decided that we should uh, try and approach America in a different way. We've been playing here many times before, and it's been the same. I've done this same interview with... Uh, are these your questions? These are not my questions, Nick. Right. I take no credit for them. All right, here, I'll ask you... The same questions. I've already done this with MTV. All right, here, I'll ask you a, a different question. Okay. It seems uh, that a lot of uh, uh, European bands, especially English bands, uh, have trouble breaking in America, and I, I think this is a good idea for you, um, but uh, why do you think this appeal, uh, this approach will work a little differently than, than past approaches? I just think there's more people. That's, that's basically it. Yeah, we're A, we're not English. I apologize, Australian, I'm sorry. We are, we but are, you are you are identified are, with England, you did move to England, yes. Yeah, we have um, Australians, Germans, English people, we have an American person. Um, to all us Americans, it's, you know, it all looks like one country. Yeah, well, it's not, it's not. It's, I know, I'm, we're, sorry. We're, I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. We're, we're from everywhere, and... Um, we roam around and try and do the best we possibly can. But see, I'm like your typical American teenager, and that's I'm saying that's the general understanding, and that's why it, it has us how, bands how from are you? 27. You're not, you're not a teenager. I know I'm not a teenager. No, I'm saying the mentality. You have the mentality of a teenager. Absolutely. Pod Like a Hole presents Run the Gamut, Season 3. Um, in this third season of our Pod Like a Hole cycle, we each have nominated 14 artists and albums that are personal favorites, and not only personal favorites, but we feel that these artists are touchstone artists that uh, have made cultural waves out there. In season one, we talked about Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails, so go back and check that out if you really want to deep dive in the world of Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails and everything that uh, he touched, looked at, and probably smelled. In season two, we went to one of Trent Reznor's heroes and one of our personal heroes in rock and roll history was David Bowie. Um, and this, like I mentioned, we are going... Um, around the horn 
we are touching many different artists and bands. And uh, this episode, we actually get to land on one of our three personal favorites, Nick Cave. But before we get into Nick Cave, there are certain artists on our lists that is going to probably warrant a multi-episode arc, if you will. Uh, we had talked about as we went into making a third season, we thought about should we do one singular artist like we've been doing or Steve had come up with the great idea of going into a shotgun approach of let's just spray the field with all of our favorite bands that we can possibly talk about. But this band, uh, this man in particular, um, Nick Cave, um, we were actually considering giving him a full season. And, you know, when I'm looking at the list, I'm sure that we'll probably look at uh, multiple episodes for, let's say, Mike Patton for Faith No More, Tom Waits. Um, those are just some that I can think of at the top of my head. I, I haven't memorized the list. But so tonight we're going to be talking about Nick Cave, uh, a little bit of our personal background with Nick Cave, a little bit of the history. And then the next episode we're going to talk about the album that I nominated, which was Henry's Dream. Um, but uh, this is your host, Mark, a co-creator, um, co-conspirator of all things Pod Like a Whole. But the engine that really drives this machine um, is also being fueled by the creative outputs and inputs of my other two uh, co-pilots. And uh, I tell you, as we enter a new year, I'm blessed, hashtag blessed, to be uh, in the company of these fine men. Uh, first, I'll go ahead and introduce uh, the, the man with all the research, the man that does everything that we ask him to do when it comes to being our quote unquote intern. And that'd be Eric. Eric, say hello to the people. Ah, uh, fuck it, I'm a monster, I admit it. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, always happy to be back on the, on the podcast. Um, really loving the new uh, intern badge you gave me. I can walk into any library, flash that badge, and even though nobody's allowed in the library, they let me in. And uh, I can click clack, do, do a little research. It's fantastic. I happy tell you, to be here. Anytime the stalls need cl uh, cleaning out, um, you're always willing to pick up the shovel and get right to work. Um, and uh, that is appreciated as our, me and the other guy on this show, um, who I'm going to introduce in just a second, uh, we tend to lend all of the, uh, let's say the grunt work uh, to Eric. Eric, you got that? Perfect, go ahead and post that. Or go ahead and talk to that person that reached out to us and you know, we love our fans, there's no question, but uh, Eric is always the one that we put in front of everyone. So thank you for being our spokes thing. Yeah, um, yeah. But Just happy to be here, just happy to be here. I mean, that's gonna be engraved on your tombstone. Just happy to have been here. Um, anyhow, <laughs> we also <laughs> we also have um, one of my dear, dear friends and uh, uh, brother from another mother, um, Steve, Steve, are you out there? I am, and it's uh, yeah, it's good that Eric's been on the straight and narrow lately, because uh, last night I I found some files that era Mark, we might have to get in touch with each other and discuss if we can still have him on the show. Um, 
it might be okay for the school district, but I don't know if they're going to represent the fine podcast, Pod Like a Whole Industries, uh, well. Um, Eric, you know what I'm talking about. Would you like to share with me what I discovered? Tell everybody. No, it's like Steve. Uh, damn it. Uh, I, I got I, I got I got a Nick Cave uh, Nick Cave uh, playlist last night. Got got pretty drunk, pretty pretty very drunk, and then at the early hours of the morning, my finger went over to my Bandcamp account where I may have an album of some electronic music I've been making, and I forced I forced it on Steven uh, in a in a in a state of drunken vulnerability, and I was really hoping he would have forgotten about it, but he has not. Oh yeah, no the fucking the dipshit. The dipshit, I would have forgotten about it. Except the first thing he did this morning was text me. He was like, hey, man, that was just a, whoa, you don't got to listen to that, uh, that link I sent you last night. as a little too much to drink. Anyhow, carry on. And I was like, oh, wait, no, wait, yeah, you did send me this last night. So, of course, I directly went to it and listened to it. And, uh, oh, it's, it's not bad. It sounds like industrial music that a fucking 40-year-old made in his closet. So, <laughs> <laughs> Switch out closet for garage and you got yourself a bingo. <laughs> oh, oh man. yeah, all that... All that aside, uh, we'll see if we can keep you around. And uh, if we don't, you know, this is another one of our tryout episodes. Uh, we bring on these guest hosts and we pretend they're guest hosts, but they're really just here in case I finally find a reason to fire Eric. And uh, yes, this is Steve. And we brought along tonight an old friend of mine who, uh, if there was a, uh, that Cheers episode where Cliff Clavin has the question, it's, uh, you know, it's like uh, Nixon, uh, Terry O'Farrell and Steven Spielberg and his answer is are who are three people that uh, were never in my kitchen and I could say that uh, Mark, Eric and uh, Chris on the episode tonight are three people who were at my wedding that would be the Jeopardy question okay all right. it's all connected mm-hmm. there you go that was the last wedding hello Chris hey how's it going Good. Introduce yourself to the people. As I, I'm terrible at making an introduction, and Steve half-assedly said, "This is a guy from our my wedding." So uh, <laughs> give us your bona fides. Yeah, um, yeah. Happy to be here. First time, long time. You know, uh, this is uh, Chris Clean. Uh, I've known Steve for a pretty long time. Um, we probably all did meet if, if we were all at the wedding, but. Um, yeah, I think we all kind of drank a lot, probably. But yeah, probably. no, Chris is a Chris is a good friend of mine back from we we met in our Sacramento days and have a lot of the same friends. And uh, Joe, one of our old guests, he was from the same circle, and uh, a stand-up guy. And uh, I I remembered that we used to have conversations about about Nick Cave now and again. Yeah. And uh, I have a I have a Nick Cave tattoo that that Chris did, and. Uh, he lives in New York now, and I, I live in Auburn. So we, we, we battled the time difference tonight, and here he is. I know. I know. It's like past my bedtime. I mean, we ate dinner at like 10 to 6 because we're old now, you know? Getting a little sleepy. I mean, uh, absolutely. I mean, we generally start these things at 930, but don't really get cooking until about 10. Um, and then usually we're up till like one o'clock and uh, usually I'm a salty old man the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I feel you. I'm sorry to keep you up past your bedtime, but uh, thank you for, yeah, you know, making it, uh, you know, a little bit more West Coast friendly for us rather than having us record the, you know, in the afternoon. Um, so we do appreciate it. Oh, no, I mean, I appreciate it. I appreciate um, you guys 
making it work for me so I don't have to stay up. That's that's the thing. It's sort of like Nick Cave's career. It's like we're just getting old now, so we got to do different things. We got to go to bed early. Some of us, yeah, some of us grow mustaches. Some of us get hair plugs. I've I've done one of those two things, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. No judgment. I mean, you, you know I have beautiful hair, so you know that's not it, but I mean, I was trying to listen to Nick Cave stuff today and I was just like, you know, at one point I think I liked the birthday party even more, but now I'm just like, what could, what do I really want to listen to where I can just be chill, you know, cause we're just, we're just getting old, you know? So I'm like, I realized that in trying to listen to like what songs I would like of his from back in the day or something, you know, I was just like, yeah, I'm not really in the mood for most of it. Hmm. Like it's, well, I, hmm. I, I still hope you want to be in the podcast. I'm on the wrong episode. <laughs> thanks for checking in. Thanks for checking in, Chris. We'll have you back for the Phil Phil Collins episode. No, no, I, no, I know. No, I was just I was just thinking because I because I told Steve before that I kind of like cut off, like when Nick Cave got chill, I sort of like fell off a little bit, and then now that I'm chill like him, you know, I was just trying to bring it back to the top that's all sure. and yeah. uh it might it might be yeah it might be time for you might be at the time of your life to uh listen to the 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 more reflective uh, the go- melodic your ghost team older man song your your your, your uh rings of saturn but yes. see this is well, the know, thing well, ghost teen i didn't even know what that was when i saw that i was like what i've never seen this i've never seen this ghost teen ghost teen it's okay exactly you'll, you'll, you'll figure, yeah yeah exactly you'll. i'm I, i'm just like you know First it's Pokemans, and then all of a sudden this this album I've never even heard of. Time's just going by. <laughs> Time keeps on slipping, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, speaking. The devil and he staked his claim on me. I have a, I have kind of an itinerary here. I have a 
I can kind of steer the ship tonight. Mark, do you do you mind? I think I think you should. I think you should. I'm here for just the the yuck yucks and the uh, keeping us on uh, a strict time limit. So yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you do your fucking uh, job next week when we do Henry's dream. Sure. But uh, tonight we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of a how did we hear of Nick Cave? And then I'm gonna take us through the albums briefly, and I do mean briefly. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the movies and books, if we know anything about those. And then maybe a, a top five. We're doing top five albums or songs, Mark. It's up to you. I thought we were doing sound, uh, songs myself. I wrote, <laughs> I, I did a song list myself. Yeah, okay. I, I could I could easily uh, pivot to uh, albums, but I do Chris, have a Chris, did you write your top five songs down? Um, no, but I could think of them pretty yeah, you better pretty fucking easily. do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got about forty five minutes to an hour. Like, what the hell, man? <laughs> School's out, buddy. Yeah, welcome welcome to the podcast life, buddy. Yeah. It's a job that doesn't pay you. Um, <laughs> I got so, it all up here. So anyhow, you know, just like in high school, it's all right up here in the brain. <laughs> yes. I was like that kid that didn't even carry around any book bag or anything. You're like, where does he put all this stuff? I, I slowly deteriorated deteriorated into that kid by the time the end of high school. Oh yeah. Um, unfortunately, what I didn't carry in book bags, I started to wear in uh, rave jewelry. So terrible time. <laughs> you had so, you certainly <laughs> had plenty of you certainly had plenty of cargo pockets on your pants. Yes, for, you're still, it was still heavy. Gang yeah, pants. That's a lot. You can carry a lot. Yeah. Well, utility kilt. Yeah. The guest, Chris. Uh, how did you get into Nick Cave? Do you remember? Yeah, um, I worked at this tattoo shop that had a, uh, a boombox that had you could play one CD at a time, <laughs> and we had two CDs in the shop. We had the Gross Point Blank soundtrack, which is also very good. murder ballads and so we would listen to murder ballads all the time and i kind of went backwards from there like pretty much you know exactly like i i got that album and then yeah i just kind of went backwards from there until i got to birthday party and then i stopped that that makes sense (laughs) that that makes sense with your uh because the very next album after that's a pretty mellow one so uh yeah, you, you already had your whole wild and crazy gothic Americana guy. That whole that whole chunk of the discography was there waiting for you. But. Yeah, yeah, it was great because by the time I got to, I'm like blanking on all the names of them. Um, from her, from her to eternity. By the time I got to that, you know, it's like such a rough sounding one. I was like really ready for it because I was like already really into all the other ones. So it was like, it was like. You know, like you could—it was like listening to the B sides or something. You're like, "Well, I already love this band, so it was fine that it was like, you know, poorly recorded and you know, questionable, yes. questionable music rhythms." <laughs> yeah, not a, a, a more, more, more concerned with the the feel of things than the actual sound of things. It seems like that record. Yeah, totally. I agree. I mean, it's one of my favorite ones. I mean, just. Imagine like being in this band that everyone thinks is like 
freaky and all this stuff and then you know your first solo album you started off with a Leonard Cohen cover is like such a sweet move you know uh Mark I've known you since you were 14 but I don't remember when the you discovered Nick Cave tell me all about it it was uh roughly around the time of still being employed by the record store and um it was yours truly Stephen Chambers um that introduced me to hey you should check out uh, Nick Cave and so we may have been living together um uh, we were yes it sounds about right now if I think about it um and you had the best of and I think that was my introduction to Nick Cave was that uh the best of that had um I don't know like maybe 13 14 tracks on there and um it was really heavily on kind of his mid years it only mm -hmm. went up to um murder ballads or a boatman's call it didn't have anything from no more shall we part and onward so you know it was one of those things when i first heard it um i heard a little bit of uh, and i again i hadn't had a whole lot of exposure to leonard cohen um but i could definitely hear uh, very similar uh, singing styles, kind of that deep baritone, and even with kind of the uh, the imagery, very very poetic. Um, but what really kind of hooked me in, um, my first real exposure to Nick Cave was um, not even realizing it was Nick Cave, uh, but the song Red Right Hand, it was featured in Scream movies, it was featured in Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about Red Right Hand a little bit later. Yeah, that, that, that was in, in the 90s and, and the early aughts and shit just a couple of years ago on Peaky Blinders. Right. That song has been in more movies and shows than you could, you could count. Yeah. Um, I genuinely, I mean, I genuinely, when I hear that song, I do think of Jim Carrey walking down the street with a giant cowboy hat on. And it's pretty. Exactly. It's, I feel it, pretty good about that. <laughs> He must work. He must work out. <laughs> um, him trying like he's got like a paddle ball and he's trying to like get a uh, a newspaper out while he's holding all this shit in his hand. Um, absolutely. Um, I think I think it's fair to say Dumb and Dumber is one of the top thirty comedies of all time. I mean, not only that, it had a great cover of the Hurdy Gurdy Man uh, from Butthole Surfers on that same soundtrack. Um, wow. Great Donovan song, but. Uh, yeah, I'd say that was my first exposure. And I also um, was hearing a little bit of, um, you know, it's it's on record that I'm a big fan of The Doors and what they brought to rock and roll. And I actually heard a little bit of that, you know, organ love with that deep singing voice on Red Right Hand. And I was like, this is practically a Doors song um, with a little less like uh, 60s psychedelica more of like this ominous you know but again you know we can talk about that a little bit later when we talk about our top five songs or talk about a little bit of nick cave's history but that was my early exposure and then really getting deep into love with that best of and then really starting to go 
into some of his uh, better known essential albums uh, like Murder Ballads, Let Love In, um, and uh, Henry's Dream, of course, and kind of working my way backwards towards the birthday party. Um, it's as we talk about Nick Cave's um, history and how he's gone into different chapters of his career, I tend to more stay a little bit closer to his mid-year or mid-cycle year where he was a little bit more romantic and his production was very lush rather than something that was banging around in the basement um, like his early records of the Bad Seeds and of course what you hear on the birthday party um, I appreciate those but I also think that I'm, I like the journey that he was on and I tend to stay a little bit more towards his um, late early 90s um and uh early 2000s work a little bit that's that's my sweet spot for him yes uh depends on what kind of mood i'm in i can i can dive into any of them but the the mid years to the uh, modern years are the ones i probably listen to the most but then when i when i've got an itch for the birthday party you know it's the birthday party or the jesus lizard or something like that that's a that's a very specific kind of sound that i want to hear so when i go back to it it's for a reason um, Eric, did you get did you get into Nick Cave at one of your birthday parties? Actually, F, pretty fucking close. Uh, summer uh, before eighth grade, I was hanging out with a friend, and uh, we went out to the local record store in Tucson, Arizona, Zia Records, uh, which has the same artwork and font as Dimple. They they're buying from the same source, apparently. And I bought Songs in the Key of X, the X-File soundtrack, um, where Red Right Hand is predominantly featured. And uh, I, of course, remembered it from the episode Ascension, where Scully is trapped in Dwayne Barry's trunk. And uh, that song plays. And uh, it's a hot one. I I always remember that song, and it showed up in all the Scream movies, and I always... Uh, stood attention every time it, it, it showed up. It wasn't until the like 99, 2000, I was really into punk. And when it came to Americana, I liked my like dark folk, my Tom Waits and stuff. And uh, somebody said, you got to listen to murder ballads. That's, that's, that's your bread and butter right there. And uh, they weren't, they weren't wrong. And uh, much like our friend, Chris, uh, that was the first uh, full album that I, uh, of Nick Cave that I bought around then. And I've dabbled uh, hither and thither since um, uh, eventually uh, you know I got to a point where I would buy every th- any new album that came out and try to pick up the back, back catalog quite a bit that being said with the exception of Murder Ballad and a few other albums I'm definitely more of like a songs guy with, with Nick Cave as opposed to like an albums guy so this was a fun experiment the last few weeks to decide like I feel like some of the songs stand out stronger than albums with the handful of glaring exceptions but um uh anyways it's it, it's it's been a journey happy to be here to t- talk about it that's fun um you got into him before i did i heard about him around that time uh back in the mid 90s when i was getting my own bmg cds i got a subscription to rolling stone and i remember the the uh review for murder ballads and just reading about it i was like whoa this guy made an album and every song's about a murder this sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I was 14 or 13, maybe, rather. And uh, either way, didn't, uh, didn't, didn't, I didn't add it to my list. Somehow it, it went directly from 
Nine Nails to Marilyn Manson to Stabbing Westward and skipped over Nick in the, uh, the, the black hair section. Yeah, year, years later when I was working at the, uh, at the Dimple Arden store, I remember it very specifically, I feel bad. He's a listener of the show, and uh, I cannot remember his last name because it's been 20 years. Alan. There's a guy named Alan, uh, uh, a little older than us, nice guy, into a lot of the same shit we were. Oh, yeah, I know Alan. Yeah, he was a good yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a Giants fan. <laughs> I don't know how that sticks out in my mind. And uh, he said, yeah, man, like knowing what you like to listen to, you got you to gotta check Nick Cave out. And I was in the used tape section. I found a cassette copy of Let Love In, which I first listened to on my way home that day in my 1991 Toyota Corolla. And the tinny production on a cassette on a Corolla stereo, <laughs> actually, that all made sense. That's the for magic that right there. That's the <laughs> yeah, magic. it really was magical. And I just remember that opening track with that bass line and the organ comes in and the pianos, the, uh, the Do You Love Me? And Ooh. I was hooked right there. It was great. And, uh, yeah, he described, Alan described him. He's like, yeah, man, this is like if uh, Elvis was a vampire. So, like, I can kind of see it. <laughs> so, and from there, it was just off to the races, buying all the albums I could find. Uh, I got caught up as soon as possible. I bought the birthday party albums out of, at that time, obligation. But when I tried to listen to them, I just couldn't get into them. And then a few years later, it clicked. And I think I was just in the mood for something more abrasive. And, um... Yeah, and then uh, as as the newer albums came out, I'd get I'd get them the day they came out. Um, I think the first the first one that came out after I got into him was uh, the Liar of Orpheus uh, double album a few years later, uh, and I was just gobsmacked when I got that one. It was great. Anyhow, we'll talk about it in a little bit. I will say I will say Steve uh, also to just um, uh, echo Mark here. Uh, Although, like, I had murder ballads, and I think I even got, like, a promo copy when I worked at the record store of Nocturama. Um, all of my, like, my history, though, the uh, like, I would have never heard Mercy Seed or the ship's, the, you know, shipping song, uh, the ship song without you, Steve. I mean, you were, you were gung-ho, and so even though I was aware and I was a fan, like, you, you were in deep pretty much as soon as I met you. Well, that, and that's also, that's just how I am. When I get into something I like, I start obsessing over it. Doesn't happen as much in my old age unless it's a, a sci-fi TV show because I'm just, uh, it's, it's, it's a young man's game. But uh, shit, yeah, if you're living with me at the time, uh, well, I'm sorry. You're going to have to like what I like or at least hear about it. And so I'm sitting there and I'm reading the books about him. And, and actually, I think that was a, when I met Chris a couple years later, it was it was nice to, it was like, oh, this this guy likes Nick Cave too. And I didn't have to get him into him. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm kind of in that same boat. Like, uh, you lit the arc, um, but it was uh, Heather, Eric's wife, who I was working with at the time, that really, like, let that flame really start really uh, roaring. Well, she's, she's, Heather's basically a character out of a Nick Cave song, let's just be honest well, here. Yeah, she's Crow Jane. Um, <laughs> um, but then I started just realizing that a lot of the people that I was starting to work with were also then hitting their uh, fever pitch when it came to Nick Cave, really starting to discover it. So, I mean, it almost became ubiquitous in terms of what we, we were talking about when we were working together. Um, a guy from uh, uh, Chelsea Wolf, um, he had a band here in Sacramento. Um, his name's Ian Bone. Um, he had a band called Red Host, and uh, he was really getting into Nick Cave along with his uh, girlfriend, but now wife. 
um, people that I was working with at the record store in Citrus Heights. I mean, it was just, we were always talking about Nick Cave and that's where kind of my, my love for Nick Cave really started to just um, be on fire. And it hasn't really waned from there. Like he is one of my favorite lyricists of all time. And uh, seeing him live is uh, absolutely an experience. Me and Steve got to see him um, as my bachelor or my, my best man gift um, for the tour for Push the Sky Away, which was one of the better um, live shows that I've ever seen, but certainly one of the best times I've ever seen Nick Cave. And I have seen him twice with the Bad Seeds and also once with Grinder Man. Um, and yeah, it's I'm, I'm extremely passionate about his creative output. And, you know, when he faced that tragedy with his son, um, tragically dying, you know, I, I almost like felt that, you know, it, you get so attached to these artists through their, uh, artistic expressions that you almost become almost family to them. And it's, uh, you know, he, he's just a very interesting personality. And, you know, sometimes I just always like, have, yeah, you've heard of, uh, Trent Reznor and all that, but have you heard of Nick Cave? I mean, that's, I mean, that's, some deeper learning there, but uh, yeah, I'm as passionate about Nick Cave as I am with some of my favorite artists of all time. We bring up a, a few interesting things there. For one, I think that happens to a lot of people because Nick Cave, I think he's actually straight. Like you don't think of Nick Cave when you think of like, I don't know a new Nick Cave album's out. It's going to light the charts up, but most of the time people are talking about it. And most of the time they're saying, this is a really good record. But also just the idea of Nick Cave, especially in the last like 20 years, the guy's very witty. He, uh, he has his fingers in movies and, and books and he's a good interview. If you get him to sit down, uh, he has his ridiculous web store now where he sells the toilet paper he makes. Um, he has that, that website called the red, white hand files where he answers questions very in depth to people submit to him. He did that tour where he just did like a Q&A session uh, at each show. Um, he's very like this guy used to be a heroin addict. They looked like somebody that, uh, you know, slept upside down and wrote songs about people being murdered all the time. And over the last like however many years, like Chris said, with the mellowing out, sure, he mellows out to an extent, but the guy still has his sense of humor. He's still a great lyricist. He uh, still has the swagger to him. And I just, it doesn't surprise me that so many people, once they discover him, they, they stay latched on for the, the most part. I got to see him live uh, in, what was it, 20, was it 2018? That sounds 20, about right. Yeah, yeah. That was at the Berkeley, the Greek, and he was doing the uh, Skeleton Tree tour, and it was right after his son died, and it was like, he just wanted to be in the audience. Like, it was just such a... Like he would just be just throwing himself in there to be grabbed and, and just, you know, kind of immerse himself in the nut show was so good. It was the only time I've seen him live. Of course, of course, my wife, as, as we've brought up said, Oh, well, I saw him at the, at his greatest hits tour. Um, you know, it was pretty good. Uh, Blixa Bargeld play, uh, saying all of the, uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, all of the female uh, vocals from murder ballads, you know, but she's, good for very, her yeah she's very proud of that she, <laughs> she's also seen fugazi live i'm like all right okay all right yeah okay you're great you're cool yeah yeah that that berkeley shows where they they pulled people on stage and 
my wife got on stage and was dangerously close to that violin player. Guys, uh, <laughs> watch out for him. I was watching him. That wizard? Um, that wizard? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, you ever seen Nick Cave live? Yeah, probably, probably five or six times maybe, I think, over the oh. years. Oh. A good handful of times. I mean, maybe, maybe more. I don't know. I don't mean to brag, but... No. Look at the, look at the big balls on Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been to a few shows. You know, it's no big deal. I could just spend money on a ticket. <laughs> you know, but yeah, they're they're pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because I, <laughs> I have a friend who's friends with Barry Adamson, and so we went to um, one of the times he played. We chatted with Barry afterwards, and and they had been doing that thing on the tour where they had like choirs from different cities mm-hmm. yeah and so they had like the harlem children's choir or some, something like that and barry said that the kids were like on the news or something talking about how they were gonna sing with nick cave and they were like yeah my mom said that in the 80s he was a big deal <laughs> but i don't know <laughs> the kids were quickly hustled off the stage before they went into stagger lee i'll, I'll just say that <laughs> Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was uh, a him a, a few times, uh, twice with Grinder Man, and then maybe maybe three or four at the Bad Seeds. I just remember very specifically one of the shows at the Warfield. Just the the energy the band still has. I mean, guy, we talk about how he mellows out in his old age, but when when the songs demand it, he's still pointing and high kicks and uh, singing like a preacher. It's uh, it's good stuff. Um. Yeah, he still got it for sure. He he does. You know, he sells toilet paper online, but he still has it when he needs it. Yeah. I've been contemplating suicide, but it really doesn't suit my style. So I think I'll just. So yeah, Nick Cave, uh, born and raised in Australia, went to some art school, I believe, and uh, had inc- parents that were encouraging to him to do whatever he wanted. He eventually got into rock and roll. His dad died when he was 19. He learned about it when he was, uh, I think he was uh, in the drunk tank. He learned about it the next day. You know, I got thrown in the, dr- the drunk tank one time, and the next day I learned that Clarence Clemens from the E Street Band died. So I know what it feels like to get terrible <laughs> news <laughs> when you when the, the rays of sunlight hit you that next morning, like it did for Nick. Um, bums around, he gets involved with guys that are like-minded as far as music goes. He was really into prog rock when he was young. He liked King, Pink Floyd and King Crimson quite a bit, but you wouldn't know it from listening to the early stuff. The first band was The Boys Next Door. You, but uh, I, I believe he named his his first son Jethro after Jethro Tull but uh, yeah uh, you, you're correct that he named him that I never put two and two together you're probably right um, what? I don't know if that was Jethro's what did you think of <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, thereby I'm... hangs a tail quiet Eric um, that uh... <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> Eric we're gonna say Jethro Jones <laughs> oh no no no, no. Uh, uh, I was all I was gonna say was that Breathless sounds like uh, some like psychedelic prog uh, 
like you know like that song breathless it sounds like fucking pearls before swine or one of those 60s psychedelic prog bands you talk to your dad all about it um <laughs> so the first band the proto birthday party the boys next door you guys listen to that you know i haven't um it's in my record collection uh when i say that it's in my apple music account uh, <laughs> waiting to be listened to um but i just haven't gotten the time or the energy to do it is it homework is it good it's all right it's got nick cave mccarvey roland howard tracy Pugh, who's the uh, bass player with the, uh, the cowboy hat and uh, phil calvert on drums and this is essentially the birthday party it's worth listening to through maybe once. It's a little poppier than the birthday party. Some songs, Mark, sound like U2 meets Joy Division. That's what I... Oh, man, that's like... I need to check it out then. Yeah, it's worth, it's worth a listen. And Eric or Chris, giving it a shot? I, I read about them in Reinhardt Kleist's Nick Cave, Mercy on Me, graphic novel. But I have not heard them. I heard, I heard like, Shivers, right? You know? That's the, song, that's the song everybody knows, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of it. I don't know. It's a good. It's a decent song. So yeah, yeah. They, they quickly they quickly become the birthday party. One or two years later, and uh, yeah, what happened? Like what happened at home? Well, they moved. They moved to. The, they moved to the UK. Like their manager said, you're not going to sell anything uh, unless you move to the UK. So they did, and they were trying to like uh, kind of fall into the factory records, Joy Division kind of thing. Um, but they wanted to be a little bit more punky. Yeah. And it's, it's still, it's the same. And they got into drugs probably. The drugs are coming. And uh, it's the same, it's the same band of the boys next door, namely Mick Harvey. We're going to hear about Mick Harvey throughout almost this entire show tonight. He was there from the start and they had four albums. Uh, Hee Haw, uh, the, the Hee Haw EP with the self-titled birthday party album. Sometimes they would put those together. Uh, Prayers on Fire and Junkyard. And these were all released between the years of 1979 and 1982. Um, I revisited them all recently. I'd say Waving My Arms is probably my favorite birthday party song. Uh, it's good. Very, a lot of low end. Like the bass on all these, uh, these albums really like was at the forefront. So good. A lot of chaoticness. A lot of, not a lot of melody, but a lot of instrumentation going on there's uh, they i mean there there's multiple guitar tracks sometimes there are saxophones organs pianos sometimes all this stuff is not being played very well but it's there
Chris, as the the biggest birthday party fan here, where do you? What's your what's your go to? What's your your opinion? I, I think junkyard's the best, um, which is not probably the most popular or something. I don't know. Um, I think I like. I have to remember because I don't know if I like whole albums more than the other ones. I don't know. It depends because some of it's like a little more. I don't know. Like, um, I was always in, under the impression that "Release the Bats" was one of their biggest. Like, that's one of their big songs. Am I wrong on that one, or am I, I just? I don't think you're wrong. I think it's that one's. That was some of the first uh, Nick Cave satirist type stuff going on because it was kind of mocking the whole Bauhaus crowd. They might have been getting lumped in with. I think. I see. Nick the and, stripper. And, and as the as the comic book that I read last night told me, they they were like kind of pissed because the only clubs that would have them were these goth clubs, um, but they wanted to be a punk band, and so they were like, and punk was already dead in the UK, so they were like behind the fad, and so they just they just performed to piss people off. Like honestly, birthday party shows meant there was going to be a fight. And that was that was their that was like like the best then that actually drew drew a crowd. Yeah. No, that it's, it's junkyard. Speaking of Barry Adamson, he's on that one for a couple of tracks. Oh yeah. So I think that's that's where you start to get the uh, you know the bad seeds didn't have a different lineup every album, but every few albums there would have like a, a, a mutation, and some like some people get rotated out. So as the end of the birthday party is coming, Barry Adamson starts to come into the uh, into the arena. And then when the birthday party starts, uh, Tracy Pugh and his cowboy hat are nowhere to be found. Um, <laughs> Junkyard is a good album. That's the one that's got the, uh, that's got the album cover by the Rat Fink guy. <laughs> yeah, Big Daddy Raw. That's so weird. Yeah, I, so I don't know how that came about, but it definitely is something I remember about that record. His alcoholism well Fingering bottle and swinging it still Let to sleep come back again A clock is crawling round the same He's busting clock he hates his face Going on digression, but speaking of you know art, um, you know you didn't have an opportunity to describe the Nick Cave tattoo that uh, Chris gave you. Um, willing to uh, do that on air? I am, and maybe <laughs> even show a picture of that, and maybe post it on Instagram. And a later. couple of uh, I'll get when we get to the album. It's very album specific, um, so we'll talk about it in a few albums. Alrighty. Uh, so yeah, the birthday party to summarize, very loud, worth checking out. Very rocking and dangerous. And, it's like uh, white jazz. I, I could definitely, yeah. And the fact that Nick Cave never wore a t-shirt during this time uh, helped that. Um, very White pale. jazz. Is that the <laughs> kind of jazz that Ryan Gosling plays in uh, that one movie? <laughs> oh, I don't you can know. ignore I, me, Chris. I didn't see that one. <laughs> 
You know what that? La La Land. You know. Oh the one yeah, I get it. Jazz, same jazz music. I didn't see it. Don't spoil it for me. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so basically, the Dave Brubrick trio. Let's let's go on with that. that so note. then we get into the Bad Seeds years, and 1984, from her to eternity. Great album title. Mm-hmm. Bargeld decides to become a member of this group of people. Him and Nick Cave. Uh, well, where did how did that happen? Oh my God. Come, I'll, I'll get to it, Eric. And I know what you want to Thank, talk about. Thank God. All right. So during the birthday party years, Blix of Bargeld from Enderstein New Bauten, a German industrial band that makes their own instruments. They smash vacuums on stage. Uh, they Become buddies and Blixa Bargold and Nick Cave start talking. And I guess Blixa thought he had enough time to be in two full-time bands. I first saw them in, uh, we were in Amsterdam, the birthday party. We were on tour there. I was in a hotel room. I very clearly remember putting on the TV and seeing this, this band that I'd never heard of before. 
And it was an incredibly mournful, haunting piece of music that they were making. And, and, uh, and eventually it came onto Blixer and I'd never seen anybody look so um, destroyed, uh, so ill. And he opened up his mouth and let this cry come from his throat, which was something I'd never heard come from an adult human being before. It was something that comes out of, out of strangled cats or, or dying children. It was one of those defining moments for me of things that you see that just just change the way you are. Eric, do you have anything to add? No, I just it, it, the uh, Mercy on Me comic is is great. Uh, I don't know if it's real. <laughs> I don't know if it's purely fiction. But there's a whole chapter on how like uh, Nick is about ready to throw it all in and call it a day, and then he sees. Uh, he sees Noy Bouton live and, and that's it. Uh, that's what I want to do. And then uh, he brings Blixa in. Well, something tells uh, me that if he did exactly what New Bouton was doing, we would not be standing here tonight talking about him. But uh, it's true. that's not, not a bad band. I have a couple of records. Uh, did Chris, Mark, you guys ever listened to Enterstein, New Bouton? I did. I listened to... Um, the one that they released off of Nothing Records because you got to catch them all um, as you are going through Trent Reznor's whole history. Um, and I think uh, the one that has the horse pissing on the cover, House yes. to Deluge. Yeah, that one is fucking two. so good. That album is fantastic. Hmm. Fantastic, huh? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's all right. They're very, you got to be in the mood. Chris, you ever, you ever partake? Not, not really. I've seen some footage that's kind of cool just because, you know, they're weird homemade instruments. But, um, yeah, it's a little too, like, it's a little too crazy for me. When did you first meet Blixer? Well, I saw him on TV first. I saw Neubauten on TV. And uh, I'd never seen anything like it in my life. Quite soon after that, I met him in a bar in Berlin where we all used to go. I know he wouldn't speak English to me for a long time, and I, I didn't speak German at all, so. Could he speak English? Well, I, I didn't think that he could. And then one day he just spoke English, and he speaks unbelievably <laughs> beautiful, expressive English. And, uh, but that's, that's uh, that, that was Blix. Blix was always sort of playing the long game. And to work with? What was he like to work mm. with? Oh, he was incredible. He is like the most one-eyed kind of uh, creature that you could imagine. You ask Blixer what he thought, I think it is this way, and that's the end of it. I was always kind of in awe of Blixer. Um, and he was this incredible guitarist, you know. Um, played the guitar like um, no one. He would come on tour without a guitar. He'd say, well, where's your guitar? And he goes, I did not bring the guitar. And um, he would borrow the, the, the support group's guitar, much of their horror, just plug it in some amp and create stuff that you never heard before. He's 
a creation of some sort where you can't even imagine that he could have parents. Yeah, I, uh, uh, I understand you, Botton. The, the first, the, the time I really gave him a day in court was when I went to Sierra College and some goth chick there told me about him and wanted to drink absinthe and listen to them. So what are you going to do? Uh, I mean, you got to do that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking was going to happen that night, but nothing much did. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> so you got- House, Der- House Derluge. That, that's the album. If, if, if nothing else, check that one out. Yeah, yeah, Blix of Bargold from Enderside New Boughton. Uh, a guy named Hugo Race on the guitar. Uh, Barry Adamson, who was in a Magazine as well, on guitar, bass, and piano. And Red Bats with Wings. That's right. Back to our, our David Lynch stuff. And uh, Mick Harvey is still there. Uh, they had J.G. Thrillwell from Fotis, Fetus. He, he co-wrote some of the songs, but he left the band after having disagreements with Nick Cave on the direction they should have. And again, if he stayed around, I mean, I own, I own a lot of Fetus albums, and we would not be having this podcast tonight if they went in the direction he wanted to. So right. they put out the album the, From Her to Eternity in 1984. Quite a good record. Uh, on this one, I'd say my favorite song is Saint Huck. Not if you guys are familiar with that track, but it's starting to take what the birthday party did with the and, and go into where the, the bad seeds were going to be for a while. It has this, this bass line of dread, just holding the whole song together. It just progresses. And, but it starts talking about, like, a murder in the woods, and there's a lot of whistling, and you could start to see this whole Americana thing, this dark Americana stuff that they're going to do for a while in there. So it's a great song. A lot of, a lot of crazy eyes and shrieking. As a, what's your opinions on that first album, Chris? From her to eternity. Yeah, I like it. I think Well of Misery is my favorite song on there. It just seems like so crazy and just that when he's when he's yelling stuff and there's not music playing. Um yeah, I like it. It's I mean, yeah, it's like kind of rough, but you know, like Cabin Fever is like a crazy song. It doesn't really sound like it really has a, a rhythm or anything. Um but I like that one. I liked that era too. I think that that was like probably my favorite lineup. Hugo Race has like some early stuff that's kind of good too. That's, that I feel like is underappreciated. I will have to check his stuff out. Yeah, especially from that from that time. I feel like he might have even been into like the country thing a little bit, maybe before, maybe influenced that for Nick Cave. Yeah, I'm familiar with his name just from Nick Cave, but I never pursued it to make that a extra credit assignment for myself. Eric, uh, from her to eternity. Yeah, uh, it, yeah, I know it's 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 cool. What, what I like about Nick Cave kind of finding himself as him and the Bad Seeds, um, as somebody who's you know in the last ten years or so tried to really educate myself in uh, post punk and goth. Um, he kind of was that, but then also somehow found a way to make Americana dark and cool. I really appreciate that. Uh, for me, this album, Cabin Fever, is dirty and dangerous and just rough and punk enough, it, but he's still got the gravitas of his storytelling that, that he will always have until, until this, this very day. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, 
yeah, it's it's worth a listen. It's pretty cool. Mark, the first album. Opinions. Um, the early Nick Cave records, I don't necessarily um, reach for those uh, when I'm uh, in the mood for Nick Cave. Um, as I had mentioned before, where my sweet spot is for, for Nick Cave. Um, I do appreciate the experimentalism. Um, I appreciate the sharp edges on his early records, especially the first three. Um, and when you look at like, we'll, we'll talk about kicking against the pricks, but him trying to um, essentially take uh, really Americana songs and put them through like a glass machine or something like that. There's a lot of sharpness. Um, and from her to eternity, you know, that uh, self-titled song, you know, I listen to that pretty regularly because it tends to pop up on a lot of his compilations and not to mention that they do play that one live. Uh, that, that pretty really, they, they close with it sometimes. It's, it's a great song. Yeah. Let me tell you about a girl. And then he goes into it and the crowd goes wild. Um, I mean, it sounds like a romantic horror song. Um, there's a lot of horror elements going on and it, that for me is it's a great song um and it really kind of shows the beginnings of where nick cave wants to take this whole bad seed project um but i do appreciate it for what it is i just don't reach for it unless i'm doing like a run through and just seeing his progression in real time it's just one of those albums that i think it's it's, it's the first step between bridging the birthday party to the bad seeds Definitely. Um, and, but it's not one of my favorite records by him by any means, but there are some, some songs on there that, uh, that do stand out. Unfortunately, I just I don't have a lot of exposure to it because I generally really tend to live in his later part of the career. Um, but uh, whenever I go back to it, I'm always surprised. Like This is actually pretty listenable. Um, I think I like the second record a little bit more than the first one. Well, just to get, get ready tonight, what's going to happen is that you're going to repeat yourselves a few times. Then midway through, you and Chris are going to switch. And then on the second half of the, uh, the the podcast tonight, Chris will be like, I've never heard that record. And you'll have more to say um, as we get into the I'll future. be asleep before then. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Just mute, just mute yourself. <laughs> I can't. I don't know. Have, we, have any of us ever fallen asleep in the podcast? I'm sure I have. Um, I've come close <laughs> on those Joe Vieira. Uh, not to talk shit about Joe Vieira by any means, but uh, that LucasArts in the vault episode, uh, <laughs> like I was... That was a rough it's in the vault one. for the reason. <laughs> That's uh, just for the Patreon customers. Yeah, <laughs> not even, not even them, not even people at the, <laughs> the platinum level get that atrocity. <laughs> um,
1985 comes along and they moved to Berlin. And about Berlin, they said Berlin gave them the freedom and encouragement to do whatever they wanted. They lived in London for three years. And it seemed that if you stuck your head out of the box, people were to knock it back in, particularly if you were Australian. When we came to Berlin, it was the opposite. People saw us as some kind of force rather than a kind of wacky novelty act. So they moved to Berlin and they feel like they're respected all of a sudden. And they put together uh, one of my, uh, it's up there for me. Uh, the first born is dead in 1985 and the song craft is coming to the it's a bit more it's not polished by any means but there's some more st song structure i think here there's still a lot of shrieking and stabbing and angles and it's not a typical rock record but you're gonna get more of the southern gothic feel going on uh, namely the song Tupelo, which is my favorite song off of it, which they play often live still. It's all about the story of uh, story of Elvis's dead twin brother died in the womb, Jesse Garen uh, Presley, and uh, it's, a, it's a great song. It's got that one line on it. It's a simple line. You just you could say these rivers, you could say these streets are rivers. You could call these rivers streets. Like I, that's it's a very incredibly simple lyric, but his delivery of it, it just has this Old Testament flood imagery to the whole song. That I just I, I love it. It's good shit that record. Uh, Chris, uh, Tuple, or The Firstborn is Dead. How do you, what's your opinion on that one? Yeah, I like that one a lot, too. I think it is like a little bit more, you know, um, cohesive, a little smoother, I guess. And, you know, it's pretty, like, blues-heavy, but, you know, Long Train Suffering is great. I wish they would play that song live. I've never, I don't know if they ever did. It seems like it would be so great. I really like how all the instruments are recorded and sounding. It's... I love the photo on the back too, where it's just like drums, guitar. And, that's Flood. Yeah, or that's Flood producing that one. Yeah, Flood produced the last oh, one yeah. too. Flood, yeah, Flood did some of their early production and engineering. Um, and yeah, the 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 band on that one is just Nick Cave, Blixa, Barry Adamson, and Mick Harvey. Pretty stripped back band. Yeah. And um, a lot of the, you know, you got your typical various pianos, organs, some harmonica on it. It's very, they're very much looking towards the South. And uh, the, I like the, the juxtaposition of the album covers. The first album cover, Nick Cave's face in your face. His eyes are all red and he's just, <laughs> yeah. oh my God. And the second one, a little bit more subdued. Not much, but it's him at a table, just kind of sitting there. He's still got his crazy hair. Yeah, he's like, I'm reading more now, you know. <laughs> That's the photo. He's like, I got this <laughs> last last summer. I've, yeah. Uh, Mark, that is a perfect description. Mark, how do you feel about the firstborn is dead? A little bit more your your style. 
Yeah, I think the songs are a little bit more fleshed out. Um, and you're absolutely right. There's a little bit more eye to um, uh, Southern blues and more of that Americana sound. Uh, Tupelo, Blind Lemon Jefferson, uh, Train, um, what was the name, the name of that song you were just, Train Long Suffering, yeah, uh, Wanted Man. Wanted Man's on there, that's right, the Johnny Cash. That's a Bob Dylan song. Oh, Bob Dylan, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, uh, what, which one were you is thinking? Is City of Refuge on that one, or is that a... No, no, it's not on this one. Might be on Tender Prey. Um, but this... Sorry. This one uh, tends to go by pretty fast. I mean, even though it's a 40-minute record. Um, but uh, yeah, it, 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 it's a little bit more fleshed out, I would say. And those drums on Tupelo are quite something. Eric. Uh, yeah, not a lot to add here. Um, good album. Uh, the, uh, honestly, the Americana stuff I enjoy, but it's not... Um, it's not my top tier Nick Cave, um, but Tupelo is top tier. That song is goddamn good. And then Blind Lemon Jefferson is a cover of the song Blind Lemon Jefferson by the artist Blind Lemon Jefferson. And not to be, um, you know, annoying, but too late for that. For like for like one year, I got into old blues, specifically Dirty Dusty, you know, nineteen ten nineteen twenties blues and. Uh, Blind Member Jefferson was one was one of the albums I bought, and uh, hell uh, hell of a guitar player. Uh, anyways, authentic blues, not like Blues Hammer, which we'll bring up uh, later when we talk about talk about Nocturama. Um, so, nineteen eighty six, you've got the same band essentially: Nick Blixum, Mick, and Barry, Thomas Wilder on drums, and they do a con or a, a covers album, Kicking Against the Pricks. Great album title. Great album cover. It's Nick Cave and his hair is 10 miles high. He's wearing a, wearing a tuxedo <laughs> and there's like smoke everywhere. He looks oily. It's very interesting. Um, you know, these days, album cover albums, they come at you left and right. They're just everywhere. Cover albums. Shit, during the times of COVID, there's dozens of bands that have just been doing covers all year long. Uh, there's the whole YouTube channels devoted just to various members of various bands getting together and doing covers 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 covers
But this covers album, I think, is fairly important. They put their own sound on all these songs. The sequencing almost makes it feel like it could be an album, even though many of these songs, I've actually, we're familiar with them. Uh, the, the dreamed out version of Hey Joe on this one is uh, my, my go-to. It's kind of like a Velvet Underground version of uh, Jimi Hendrix's Hey Joe. I don't know if Jimi Hendrix originally wrote Hey Joe, but he's who popularized it. And if... William Roberts. William Roberts. Thank you. And if you want to hear an even better version of this song, you can listen to Typo Negative's version called Hey Peter. But uh, yeah, pretty good, uh, pretty good cover album. I bet, I bet Nick and uh, Peter Steele, between the two of them, used more black hair dye than anybody else in the uh, 80s and 90s. Uh, Eric, have you ever sat through Kicking Against the Pricks? I remember it. I remember you showing it to me. Uh, listen, All Tomorrow's Parties, their cover of the Velvet Underground's All Tomorrow's Parties is top tier. It's never left a playlist on my phone. It's so good. They do a great job. Um, it's fitting the amount of the amount of heroin that Nick was doing at this time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to cover yeah. that song the way they did. Yeah, and he and and you know what? He can actually drop down to Nico's, uh, you know, uh, level of decibels, uh, uh, and sing. It's great. It's great. Their cover is great. The Hammer song, please forget about it. It's so good. Uh, they they they're a great cover band. They are. Mark, any of the covers strike your fancy? um let's see here what let me take a look at the track listing again um long black veil um i remember that one sticking out at me this is probably one of my least favorite nick cave records um not to mention it's just uh not a big covers guy you know to be honest with you i mean i think they're interesting but when you get a whole record of them it's just like okay thank you um but uh, all tomorrow's parties is interesting this one has the ghetto right am i wrong on this one Oh God, shit! It's either on this or it's on the next album. It's, I feel I should know. Okay, see, that's what I'm talking about. Um, I think uh, off of "Lovely Creatures," um, that uh, later compilation that came out a couple years ago. It's not. Has, it's like, not. Gonna, uh, sorry, the ghetto's not on here, Mark. Sorry. Go on. Right, right. Um, I'm gonna kill that woman. Um, I think is is featured on there. Um, but it's it's just okay. I mean, honestly, like it is only when I'm doing a run through will I actually pick up this record. Um, it's just not my thing. Chris is kicking against the pricks. Your thing at all? Yeah, I like that one a lot. That's actually one of my favorite ones. I think because I think Crossfire. I, <laughs> yeah, I think I just like that they were so drugged out and so fried doing those kind of blues covers it was like so extreme that i liked that combination more than i even like if he would does a blues thing now or now if he did now i would be like this is kind of cheesy but imagining all of them and blixa and stuff playing that kind of stuff and doing weird guitar stuff kind of kind of did it for me i think yeah just just soaked in cheap gin and there's needles everywhere and i've seen so many photos and i love them i can't get enough of them i gotta a few Nick Cave knickknack books, and there's all during this era. The guy just you know, he could not find a goddamn wife beater that was not stained with something, and <laughs> he's always sitting in some corner with a typewriter. And there's like old dusty photos everywhere, and like locks of people's hair. And just what were they doing? 
well, what they were doing was making albums like this, and it sounds like what that looks like. It's just grimy yeah, imagine, and smoky. Yeah, imagine him doing. I mean, I love, I love, um, um, I'm sorry, I interrupted you and I just lost it. Happens all the <laughs> something's time. Got, something's gotten a hold of my heart, like even the way that the drum sound is like, yep. they're so cheesy sounding almost, but I just imagine how they look and I'm like, it's kind of a cool combination. And I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, glorify heavy drug use. I'm glad the guy yeah. lived and kicked his habits and that's part of his story so we can look back at this yeah. stuff and then you can, you know, laugh about it or at least talk about it and you not say, you know, I don't want my kids doing this, but this rock star that did it and lived to tell the tale, well, I'm glad he did. So, there yeah. you go. Next album, 1986. We have Nick Cave, Mick Harvey, Lixa Bargold, Barry Adamson, and Timus Wilder. Essentially the same band. Just this album has some glockenspiel and xylophone on it. Your funeral, my trial. There is no home, there is 
my opinion this is where the uh, the bad seeds started to kind of become the bad seeds more so than where they already were the last few records there's definitely a lot of elements of it the danger is still there some of the many of the same uh concepts and topics are still there but there's a little bit more melody on this album and i love i love it when the guy gets melodic he can he can write very pretty songs uh i'd, I'd say that the track on this album that gets me is one of his marquee songs, uh, Stranger Than Kindness. It's, it's got this like rising action, like ethereal drums and a calliope, possibly. I don't know. It's a pretty, pretty cool song. Uh, Chris, back to you on your funeral, my trial. You, you visit that one at all? I do. I love that one. I love, I love all the ones that they made in Berlin. I think that was like my favorite era because it was like they were starting to get serious but they were still fucked up. <laughs> so, you know, that was cool in a, in a weird way, you know, just like trying to make formal things and make these album covers that have like, you know, I don't know. It was just weird. Like I, I liked, I liked all the album covers up and to that point too, just the way that they're almost like country album covers, you know, and they're wearing suits and stuff too. And, that, I don't know that combination. I love that one. The recording is kind of strange on it too. It does sound kind of dreamy. I think the whole record kind of just sounds murky and dreamy. Yeah. Not in a bad way. Not like they made a mistake. I think it was by design. Yeah. Um, and it just feels it like feels, you know, it like feels like a lot of things in a good way, a good lo-fi kind of way, you know. Uh, Mark, your funeral, my trial. What do you think? Um, so I absolutely agree with your sentiments around stranger than kindness. Um, one that also shows up quite a bit on any sort of compilation is the Carney, um, which sounds like a Tom Waits song. Um, there's a lot going on in terms of like the calliope circusy kind of sound. Um, and, yeah, but almost like a haunted circus. Um, it's it, it definitely is a bridge record between um, early part of Nick Cave and the Bad Seed sound um, as it goes to a more of a fleshed out, more instrumental, more atmospheric one that you then get a little bit more uh, results on on Tender Prey, which is the next record. But the Carney is the one, and of course, Stranger Than Kindness. Um, those two rec uh, those two songs uh, for me kind of typify what's going on here i love the the album title though that is it uh just brings up some imagery that uh what does that mean yeah, funeral, your my funeral trial. my yeah. trial it's it's good right yeah yeah it's it's good stuff um but yeah it's it's a good little bridge record i, I, I think as they're really starting to come into themselves in their own sound
leaving his caravan behind It was parked out on the southeast ridge And as the company crossed the bridge With the first rain filling the bone-dry riverbed It shone just so upon the edge Mick Harvey Not really with the music. I think people get more lost with levels of uh, fame or popularity that they might find themselves confronted with, which become uh, a distraction or difficult for them to handle. And that may interfere with uh, their self-perception and whether, you know, what's important to them. But that's really, that's really people who are looking, I think, more for that kind of thing when people are entering into the arts because they want to, you know, get approval or be famous or something, when that's one of their primary motivating, uh, one of the primary motivating factors. And for me, that's not really a motivating factor. It's, is... a kind of, it's kind of a collateral damage thing that happens that you have to manage. I'm not really interested in fame. I don't, I don't mind if I've got more famous. I just deal with it by more by keeping myself more remote from that idea but some people want that stuff and they they want that kind of attention a lot of people who choose to be lead singers and and actors they're wanting this kind of approval they're, they're looking for that kind of approval from an outside source and that's not really my thing i don't think i'm not really that interested in that sort of thing i mean you know, everyone is a little bit you all like have why you have friends but I mean as, as with with my art it's not something that I'm actually trying to nurture or develop Nineteen eighty-eight, Tender Prey. Got Nick Cave, Mick Harvey, Blix the Bargold, Roland Wolf, a gentleman whose name I've always loved. Uh, Kid Congo Powers, and oh, yeah. Thomas Thomas Wilder on the drums. Uh, Tender Prey. I really think it's where they really get it all. They they pull everything together. I think. Um, the, re- the 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 album. Not immaculately produced, actually kind of reverb heavy, but I believe it works. It's got some of his best lyrics. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of great songs on there. Uh, City of Refuge is actually on that album. And, of course, uh, it's not the title track. When people think of that record, they usually do think of The Mercy Seat, which is uh, covered by Johnny Cash 
and you got Nick's version there. It's, it's a great song. It's usually in their live shows. Uh, yes, I, I have a tattoo of, of, of that song that, that Chris designed. It's just, it just says the mercy seat is waiting, and it's on like a piece of, uh, I don't know, parchment. Uh, uh, let's put you in the, the mercy seat here, Chris. What was that, just uh, one day, just uh, some flash that you, you threw together, or were you just thinking about that song? What was that all about? Do you even remember? It was years ago. Uh, I don't really remember <laughs> exactly. Uh, you've probably um, done like t- <laughs> two million tattoos by now. I doubt many of them stand out. I, that's fine. Um, well, I don't remember where it came. I, I don't know if it was your idea or mine, I guess. I don't, I don't think it was my idea. We did a couple that were my idea that you put your own spin on, but that one, that one, I definitely remember it was in one of your, uh, I guess, flash books, whatever. And, yeah. uh, I just said, that ah, looks good. Wait, why not? That's a Nick Cave song. Um, but yeah, it's there and it's not going anywhere. And yeah. uh, it's a good album. I, I stand by it. Another great album cover. This time you've got Nick Cave still looking like the room is too hot. Mm-hmm. But he's wearing a, a red button-up shirt with a, a blade, black blazer over it. And Tender Prey. Uh, Eric, you've, you've got to have listened to this one. Oh, yeah. This is, a, yeah, th- this is when I start uh, making more sense. Um, honestly, the mercy seat of jump the devil and Diana, uh, uh, one, two, three punch that is rarely matched in albums. Those three, those three openers. So it's, 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 ten, it's, so it's a mercy seat up, jump the devil, which is great. That, that song's got that. Oh, here comes Jack with his old big sack. It's just a yeah. ridiculous storytelling yeah. song and then what's yeah. what's the third track you're talking about deanna oh deanna deanna i love oh deanna that's that. that's just a that's a weird dirty romantic song that's a you know they're singing about this chick deanna and she's troublesome but you want to but it's, that song is just some good sleazy rock and roll it's it's fantastic um yeah this 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 album's great it's uh apparently uh take a a, a slow Somebody like me like takes a, yeah, maybe a few to come around. This is the one. This is it's fantastic. Yeah, so. it's my favorite one as well. I mean, it's probably my number one. It's a good number one. Uh, the, what what about it makes it your number one? Just everything coming, just everything seeming to come together like it should from the early stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. It seemed like yeah, it kind of had their Berlin vibe that was you know whatever that was kind of mixing with yeah it just it just worked it was like dirty enough but it wasn't too dirty i think slowly goes the night is probably my favorite bad seed song of all time i think and i i love that kind of that i don't know it just has that vibe like it would be on in the bar at the end of the night and you're like what the hell is this song you know and it just yes. like kind of doesn't seem like too storytelling kind of stuff that he can do that isn't really my, my favorite you know, so a little, I guess a little, little bit, like, yeah, it, it, it's a little bit less on the uh, the less clay pool. Uh, sit on my knee, and I'll tell you a story type stuff. But yeah, and it's less, it's less religious. It's still there though. You know? The storytelling's still there, but it's not the. Uh, it's not you know. There's not characters in a play here, so yeah. And they don't really do a lot of songs off of it too. It seems like they never play songs off that one really. I mean, the Mercy Seat's honestly my least favorite song probably even maybe by the by the band entirely just because i just get really tired of it <laughs> like like it's just a, it's like 30 seconds too long 
I, 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 I don't, I never get tired of it. I could see how you could. It's kind of the, uh, it's the, the closer or the let's dance of his discography. Um, Mark, the tender prey. I'm sure you've got feelings about that one that are more on the positive side. Yeah. And I mean, I don't have any negative things to say necessarily about Nick Cave as a whole, but uh, as we progress through his uh, discography, you're, you're definitely seeing a lot more confidence in what they're trying to do. He's really trying to keep one foot in that post-punk kind of uh, noisy experimental sound by also trying to get a little bit more of a song structure that could appeal to more uh, of a wider audience. Um so I think this one really helps to keep both feet in that sort of mission statement. Um, I do like the mercy seat. I think it is one of his signature songs. Um, I can agree with Chris by saying that it tends to get a little exhausting towards the end. Um, but I do really get kind of uh, caught up in the whole story of uh, someone from a prisoner's perspective as they're about to be electrocuted in the chair. I think it's a it's a pretty effective song, and having it be covered later by Johnny Cash um, is also interesting. You know, the guy that you know sang about killing a man in Reno. I think it's only you know it makes a lot of sense for him to then cover this song. Um, Deanna is a great song. It's kind of got this like weird romantic element that uh, kind of just swoons, but it's also dangerous this whole record's really messy but at the same time it's it's a it's a structured version of messy that uh it, it appeals to me and you can see that it's almost like the closing of a chapter as well because um, as we go into the next phase this is pretty much the culmination of that kind of experimental noisy post-punk sound as we go into more the beginnings of his second phase yeah i would say that um uh, to your point about this, the lyrics of the mercy seat. So I, I like songs about metamorphosis, uh, becoming something different, levitating, glowing, and shit. Even if it's about sitting yourself in the, the death chair and your body's being fried and you're melting into the wood, his description of it is great. Um, he has a few songs like, like that about changing. They did nothing to challenge or resist. In heaven his throne is made of gold The ark of his testament is stowed A throne from which I'm told All history does unfold It's made of wood and wire And my body is on fire And God is never far away Into the mercy seat I climb My head is shaved, my head is wired And like a moth that tries to enter the bright eye I go shuffling out of life just to hide in death a while. And anyway, I never lie. And the mercy seat is waiting, and I think my head is burning. And in a way, I'm yearning to be done with all this weighing of the truth. And I for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And anyway, I told the truth. And I'm not afraid to die. And the mercy seat is burning. And I think my head is glowing. 
And in a way I'm hoping to be done with all this twisting of the truth. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And anyway, there was no proof. And I'm point of how it's the closing of this chapter and going into the next chapter of the bad seeds i agree with you what's interesting is that if you're just to listen to these albums in a row you probably think that your funeral my trial would come after tender prey i feel like i feel like your right. funeral my trial is a little bit closer to what the good son is um oh it's just just me speaking of the good son yeah i see that i see that i think it's a shifting of gears and i think um yeah i think you're right i think they seem to flow more into each other than I would say that Tender Prey flows into Good Son. Um, but you can kind of see just based on the songwriting of where things were going. Um, I think it's a more mature approach on songwriting on Tender Prey than it is on Your Funeral, My Trial. That's fair. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, Your Funeral, My Trial, like, if you could... Flash, flash forward to the uh, the Good Son. They hit like their their level of songwriting where that would have made sense. Speaking of the Good Son, you've got Nick Cave, Mick Harvey, Blixa, Kid Congo, Powers, and Thomas Wilder are your band. And in 1990, they released the Good Son. Uh, Nick Cave's living in Brazil. He falls in love with a Brazilian journalist. They have a kid. He's done some rehab. He's a little cleaner. Uh, he's living, and I, I don't know how much of the band lived in in Brazil, but I know he did, and it's reflected in a lot of the uh, the songs on here. Uh, I think it's a fantastic record. It's got many many great songs. Uh, Foino Cruz, the title track, the other Hammer song, the Weeping song, and of course the Ship song. The Ship song itself is a goddamn institution. It's very beautiful. From the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, this is just one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. It's even a little cheesy, but the cheese factor doesn't ruin it. It's uh, it's in some movies. Uh, my wife and I danced to it at our after party at our wedding. Uh, a whole fucking Sydney Opera House sang it once. Um, the thing about Nick Cave is Nick Cave, I think, appeals maybe even more to women than men. I'm not sure. But he definitely appeals to women as much as men, which is important because so many of the artists that I become passionate about, Nine Inch Nails, Tom Waits, uh, fucking, I don't know, neurosis. Your wife doesn't want to hear half that shit half the time. Nick Cave, <laughs> Nick Cave, usually the old lady's in the mood for it, if not the one suggesting we listen to it. From the WTF 
podcast with Nick Cave. Which is, yeah. you have a profound effect on certain types of troubled women. Um, yeah, I've noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been surrounded by them all my life. I understand them. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah, I think I have a deep understanding of troubled women. <laughs> do you have uh, sisters, or was your mom troubled? Or? Uh, no, but I, no, I do have a sister, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and the only trouble that she had was the fact that I was her elder brother, I think. Mean. <laughs> that guy, that guy's my older brother. Um, when, yeah, I have a, I have a very strange relationship with women in general around my music. I mean, there's some that 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 very much understand it, and some that that think that it's an an, an anathema and that you that, that it should be stopped. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that guy it should be a law against. He's it. he's a demon. In fact, I think there is a law against it. In some places, with some women, <laughs> with some men who say, you can't well, listen to that record anymore. Um, it's, it, it's, it's managed to get itself a, a reputation, and, and unfairly, I think. I, I tend to look at particular issues around uh, the relationship between men and women um, and address some of those, those issues and... Um, because I write about th those sorts of things, people assume that I am like that as right. a person. So, I have that. Often, often. I'm sure you get it too. Well, I mean, I get it with songwriters. I mean, I've talked to guys in here before. You know, I talked to Nicolo in here before. My, my The Good Son, you can track a lot of it to that album, especially because the ship song. Uh, not to mention, I think that the video for the Weeping Song is a triumph. You've got you've got triumph. Nick Cave and Blixa Bargold on a boat that's on a set for like a kid's eighth grade play, and yeah. they're bouncing up like they're on a seesaw and singing to each other. It's just fucking wonderful. Um, the fucking his best. lyric, his, his vocal parts in that song are wonderful. Blixes, they're just they're great. Uh, the emotion, the emotion oh. on that song when they're singing to each other, and when they say, "I never meant to hurt this much," it's just, it's, it's good. Um, Chris, how do you feel about the Good Son? You know, I never really got into that one. I don't know why. It, I didn't really think about it being like your funeral, my trial. It just seemed, it just seemed like less nasty or something. So, I guess it maybe was the start of that era, but. Well, I mean, yeah, you've got the album covers got him, and the album covers apologies, apologies for interrupting you, but to your point, the album cover has him in a white suit at a piano. They're definitely going to start playing up the piano, uh, singer songwriter more as the years go by. And there's little girls dressed as angels sitting around him. So, <laughs> you know. yeah, yeah. That's I mean, right. I like I like the songs from the live album that were on the Good Son more than the the versions that are on the Good Son. They're just kind of weaker, weaker or something to me. Maybe for the full band or something. I don't know. It's interesting you say that because that's how Nick Cave feels about the songs off of Henry's Dream that are on that live album. Same, yeah, they're way better on the live album. Mark, the Good Son. 
Yeah, this is uh, definitely the beginning of, you know, my love affair in terms of where Nick Cave is uh, taking the the song style and the sound. Um, the, the sound palette is opening up a lot more. Um, Weeping Song, Ship Song, um, Foyna Cruz, The Good Son, those are all solid songwriting. And yeah, I, I'll agree everything to your point about that video with Blixa and the weeping song, it is um, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I think um, it, it has a little bit of humor in it as well as a lot of emotion. And I think you're starting to see a little more humor um, in Nick Cave as he's able to kind of straddle both of those uh, pretty well. Um, you know, Wikipedia, uh, you know, characterized this thing, uh, this album as dark cabaret. And, you know, I think that's a fitting description. Yeah, the humor, that's one of the things that I think us, keeps us coming back is that as a good lyricist, half the time he has turns of phrases and whatnot that are humorous. But then also some of their videos are just, uh, this one's a laugh, right? Um, we're going to talk about one with a lot of butts in it later. And, um, I mean, just the song Stagger Lee is just, uh, got one of the most, let's just get right. I mean, the spoilers, but there's a song that talks about crawling over, I don't know, 69, uh, good pussies to get to one fat boy's asshole. It's just, uh, 50. right. 50. Thank right. you, Chris. Um, to the, to the songwriting on this one, I do think it's interesting that the ship song, the weeping song, the hammer song and the witness song were just the titles during the, uh, the studio sessions and they couldn't come up with any other titles for them. Those were the, the working titles and they just said, stick with it. Just keep those. Uh, Eric, are you more familiar with this one? Yeah, definitely. This is definitely also in my, uh, kind of more of my Nick cave, uh, uh, Ovoir. uh, weeping ship and hammer is another triumphant trilogy of songs. So good. Um, sh uh, ship song. I remember, I had already know, known Nick Cave, but this was this was like a moment where Steve was definitely like, "All right, so we we went out from our house in downtown Sacramento. We got pizza at some place called like Tony's Pizza or something, and we, and then Steve drove me home in his in his '89 uh, Camry or <laughs> whatever, and and he put the song on. He said, "Just check this out" or something like that, and uh, Ship Song came on. And it was it was glorious. We I, I digested yeah, it, that pizza as we drove home. It was fantastic. Man, well, and many nights it could, could could have turned into a love affair if we wanted it to, but it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I and I would I would uh, the ship song has transcended my love of Nick Cave to just my love of Steve and his wife Becky uh, over you know, based on their wedding and. And, and tattoos and such. It's it's fantastic. That's very, very sweet. That's yeah, a cheesy song, man, but sometimes you you know, you want that sugar. That's just how it it's goes. Not, it's not cheesy though. It's like uh it's this you know. the, if you really read the lyrics, it's actually quite sad, but the sound of it is very like you know, come sell your ships when you it's just got this sweeping like I don't know, a guy on a stage with the spotlight hitting him and I don't know. It's just it's, it's sure. It's 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 a ballad. It's a it's a power ballad. It's it's, it's a suit. Yeah, it's a, it's a ballad's ballad, but uh, it yeah. works.
And that, that outro with the piano, oh yeah, gets me every time. And in 1992, they put out Henry's Dream, but guess what? We're not going to talk about it tonight because we're going to talk about it in the next episode. Hold on. Uh, somewhere in there, they did the the uh, theme to the film Until the End of the World by Wim Wenders. Uh, Chris, have you seen that movie? Um, which one? Wings of Desire? No, no, yeah. I like it. Wim Wenders, that was, that, no, his next one, Until the End of the World. I never saw that it was one. A six hour film. Oh, I definitely and... didn't see it. <laughs> You'd remember that. Yeah. I would tell you that it's actually worth your time. Nick Caves, they do the theme song for it. Um, it's pretty... Uh, uh, William Hurt has a, has a, good, has a good role in it. It's, 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 it's rather rewarding for a six-hour movie. I was skeptical, and I, and I wrote it out to the last minute. And I had a, had a good time with it. Highly recommended. Good soundtrack. Depeche Mode, Talking Heads. It's a, it's a really, uh, sorry, David Byrne. It's a fantastic soundtrack. But uh, uh, the theme, Nick Cave. You two middle. have a great song called a lot of it Until the End of the World. They're probably not on that one, though. Uh, they do. They might be. Probably uh, not. I'll have to look. But anyway, anyways, uh, uh, great soundtrack, though. And... Um, uh, it kind of uh, makes sense with whatever. Uh, a lot of it takes place in Australia. Uh, whatever Nick Cave was doing between those years, but we hop right on over uh, Henry's dream, and we before before we up. leave Henry's dream, uh, uh, Chris uh, Henry's dream. How do you feel about it? Yay, no, yay. I don't. I don't love it. I don't really like the acoustic guitar on it, even though it's Mick Harvey and he looks cool doing it and he sounds good but I like the songs that are on the live album better because they just kind of sound a little more pumped up. But I do think Henry's Dream is like the best album cover maybe ever. Oh, yes. I love the, it. Uh, the, the billboard. Yeah, it's so <laughs> weird. It's like a weird painting, you know? It just looks so bizarre. Yeah, it reminds you of something like out of a LucasArts game or something like Full Throttle. <laughs> um, so that gets uh, that gets into an album that was recorded. You know, to me, sonically, they sound like they were recorded almost at the same time, but they weren't. In 1994, "Let Love In," a true breakthrough record for Mr. Cave. It's got the uh, it's got it's got it's got "Red Right Hand" on it, the song that was everywhere, uh, be it the Scream movies or Pete Yorn's terrible version that's in the Hellboy movie. Um, mm-hmm. That's actually my ringtone right now is red right hand. It's just the bell and then the do 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 It's on my work phone and my son hates it. That bell goes off and he just gets so angry. Um, <laughs> it's very jarring. Like if that's, you know, if you have that cranked up, it's just uh, every time the phone rings, it used to be outcasts. Hey, ya. that's much more pleasant, but not anymore. Not right now. Uh, like I said, that was the album that got me into them via a cassette version title that that opening track it's just it's awesome the album overall i like quite a bit many good songs including lover man which metallica covered and i'm a big fan of lay me low which has a whole bunch of caterwauling and yelling at the end of it and this album was the first one i believe that warren ellis was on who would later become a uh, multi-instrumentalist but primarily a violinist for the band and his other gig is the dirty three Thank you. 
Mark, let love in. Um, so this is definitely one of my uh, top records by Nick Cave. Um, you know, when I debated about uh, you know nominating a Nick Cave record, it was um, generally this was certainly a candidate. Um, you know, as we listen to Henry's Dream and we prepare for that next one, you know, sometimes I do get a crisis of confidence and be like, should I have put Let Love In instead of this one? I do really enjoy Henry's Dream and we'll talk about that one on our next episode. But this one certainly was in contention. Um, it has a really strong collection of songs all throughout there. Um, do you love me? Nobody's baby now. Lover man. Um, Jangling Jack is uh, a pretty short, noisy song. Uh, Red right hand. I let love in is a great song. Thirsty dog is a pretty uh, you know raucous, noisy song. Ain't gonna rain anymore. Kind of brings it down a little bit, and then lay me low brings it down even more. And then having it just bookended by Do you love me part two. It's a pretty strong record. I mean, it it definitely is considered one of his best. I mean, ten out of ten. Um, and you know, five out of five stars. I mean, this is certainly one of his high watermark records, and um, it's certainly one of my favorites. You know, Tubi, uh, a guy on this album, song, he might be in the last couple. He's been, yeah, he's been in the band since late eight. Martin Casey on the bass. I love his bass playing, and it's very prominent on this album. He's not very showy, but he's just got some groove and some some slickness to his bass lines. And uh, this album has one thing on it that I need to mention, if we never speak of it again, is that there is a lyric on it, the title track, Let Love In, where he says, uh, hey, man, if you, if you hear love knocking at your door, well, buddy, let him in. And I just, <laughs> I just love that, you know, just, just hey, buddy, let him in. Right. The, the, the using buddy, I don't know, cracks me up. Uh, Chris, do you have any opinions on Let Love In? Are you still with us as far as the discography goes? Yeah. Yeah, I love this album. I mean, I think it's like, I think it's their best album and their best era, even though it's not my personal favorite. But I, I mean, I love it. I love, I love Do You Love Me. Both parts, I think, are great. They're like two different songs is really cool. And yeah, I liked that era because it was still like, you know, he was into freaky stuff, but it was a little more methodical or calculated or something, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, Lover Man. It's a great song. Yeah, the album definitely, it, it goes back and forth between, there's no, I don't think there's any outright ballads on this one, but there's uh, romantic parts. Maybe they're dark, yeah. but there's definitely, there's still the noises there. The Jangling Jack, like you said, Mark. Yeah. Uh, uh, another track whose name I can't think of right now. They're both rocking tracks. They're, they still have the angular rock and stuff. It was a good mix. Yeah. Eric, let love in. I'm sure you're. I'm sure you've let love in. Oh God, yeah. Jingle, jingle. The, that that fucking title track. Uh, do you love me? Not title track, but do you love me? Doesn't get much better than that. It's beautiful. Red right hand. As I already said, that was my. That was my introduction, and that's and that's why I can talk to like my brother, who doesn't necessarily have musical taste outside of uh, Lady Gaga, but I can talk to him about Nick Cave because he loves the Scream movies. You know, it's like uh, 
this, uh, there is some serious pop culture penetration happening on this album. Uh, it's fantastic. It's a very 90s album in production and look. That album cover with him with his shirt off. And he's got that era of his hair that's kind of a... It's kind of like a feathered mullet that parts the back. It's very, it's a very Bowie like. Ah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah rooster mullet. Yeah, yeah, a rooster mullet. <laughs> and yeah, it's got that weird pink background. It's interesting. Going into 1996, which is the album that I think uh, uh, Chris's first album, first one I think I read about. Uh, Eric was familiar with it. Uh, 1996, you got Murder Ballads. Pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the same exact band. Uh, Murder Ballads, I think, is an album that is so good. I take it for granted. It's pretty much great from end to end. Uh, that piano on the first track, the song of joy, it's just just epic and as grand as a grand piano can be. Hit it. O'Malley's Bar is what actually gave us this record. They had O'Malley's Bar sitting around for a while, and they wanted to basically find a home for it. And they said, let's just make an album of songs like O'Malley's Bar. Uh, O'Malley's Bar is a song about a bar fight that goes horribly wrong. Uh, there's actually, it's, it's Christ, it's like 15 minutes long, isn't it? Or is that a... Uh, on the B-sides, there's like three different versions of it you link together. I don't know. It's a long song. Uh uh, I love that album cover. It's like a cozy cab- cabin, but God knows what went on in there. And The Curse of Millhaven is one of my favorite Nick Cave songs. I'd be lying if it wasn't. It's ridiculous lyrics about a 
a little girl named Dottie that uh, ended up being the killer that they start describing all these deaths around town and you're like oh my god Mrs. Colgate got fucking you know she got somebody tried to smash her face in but the job wasn't done and it turned out that Loretta is the one that did it it's, uh, it's great uh, this album was a very big commercial success a lot of it had to do with the song Where the Wild Roses Grow and uh, I think another one Henry Lee was another single off this track I think that was very very popular one song was with Kylie yeah one song was with Kylie Minogue and the other song was with uh, PJ Harvey PJ Harvey who he was dating at the time which is strange because they kind of look like each other um, Murder Ballads Eric yeah, this is a top-notch one for me. If I had to pick, like, a Nick Cave album that, not just a song that stands out, but an album that stands out, this is definitely one most tracks are killer on this one. Um, exactly what you said. Um, uh, you got your Kylie Minogue uh, duets uh, where the, where the wild roses grow. You have the PJ Harvey duet. And then you have the final track, which is a Bob Dylan cover called Death Is Not The End. We have an entire album about murder and then just like this kind of hope that, you know, what was good about these victims, what was good about their life, this will live on. And it's just this genius way of ending an album. Like, I can't think of a better closer. It's perfect. And it has all of the Bad Seeds collaborators on it. It has Blixa singing. It has Kylie and PJ Harvey. It has uh, Shane McGowan from the Pogues. Uh, and it's just thematically perfect. Perfect way to... I, I, I can't think of a better way to end an album. Yeah, I, lo so I love how they ended the album with that song. They, uh, they kind of did it. It started as a joke. And then they found themselves really getting into it and appreciating what they were doing there. Um, that, that song in particular. Uh, Chris, you mentioned that you're a big fan of this album because you had to hear it every day at work. Does it still work for you? Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I mean, staggeredly, of course, I'd like never even heard a song like that in my whole life before that. And O'Malley's Bar is like probably one of my favorite Bad Seed songs too. I love the lyrics probably the most of all of their songs because I feel like he balances out the kind of low brow and the high brow mm -hmm. kind of perfectly in that song and yeah yeah it's like a perfectly themed album you know all the tracks go together um but i don't listen to it a ton really i mean i guess uh i don't know where the wild roses grow is kind of like kind of cheesy to me i guess you know i appreciate it but i usually skip that one it is, it is also kind of uh, looking forward to some of the stuff that will come on some future albums. So this album has some, uh, you know, really standout tracks, Staggerly, Henry Lee, Where the Wild Roses Grow, if you kind of just think about it from a, more of a commercial sense. Um, and whenever I uh, come across this record, Again, it's not one of the ones I reach for, but whenever I um, am going through, like, I'm going to listen to all of Nick Cave's records, and I'm going to go with some of his essential records first. 
and this comes up and I'm like, am I really in the mood for murder ballads? But as soon as I start with, you know, song of joy, I, I tend to get lost pretty quickly into this record, even though it just doesn't necessarily stick to my ribs, but it is giving you a pretty strong experience. You know, thematic records as a whole um, can be kind of a mixed bag. Um, to your point earlier, when, you know, you have a collection of murder songs, are they going to be a mixture of just, you know, song story and, and a lot of them are song story and, and that's fine. And, you know, I probably think the majority of them are, and um, they managed to pull it off. I'll, I'll say that. And it's not one of my favorite records, but it certainly is a high watermark in his catalog. Yeah. I think uh, anyone would agree. It's, it's up there. So now we're, we're getting out of the Gothic, rock not your gothic rock but your american gothic americana rock into the romantic balladeer era with 1997 the boatman's call which is a very stripped back record recorded in london it's got a uh, nick cave mick harvey blixa martin casey conway savage jim scalinovis and warren ellis and his violins are very much on here and this is a very pretty record. It's very singer-songwriter. Some songs might just be him and a piano and maybe two other instruments uh, recorded in London. Uh, it's, it's very somber. Um, I, it's got some great songs on it, I think. Uh, Into My Arms is a wonderful song. Uh, my favorite song off of it is the Brompton Oratory. It's just a very relaxed album um some of it uh some of the lyrical content starts to hew to a more spiritual side you might think nick cave pulled a late 70s dylan on us and found god i i think it's more of a you know i've read some interviews with him where he's actually asked about it and he says you know some days he feels like an atheist some days he feels like there is something divine he he, he doesn't have the idea of a conventional god which i think is one of the lines on this album like some people would think but definitely when you're an artist and you're feeling inspiration from somewhere the idea of the divine is definitely there um but i don't think any of the songs in his discography are telling me to go to church on a sunday morning but uh they get pretty close on the boatman's call uh chris this is uh definitely where he he starts to mellow out for it's like wave one of mellowing out. He'll mellow out for, for a couple of, of records and then get rocking again, then mellow out again. But how do you feel about this one, if anything? I, this, is, this is kind of my cutoff, really. Was I, didn't, I didn't get into it. I mean, you know, he's got the like author book jacket cover going on, and I just wasn't into it. <laughs> I just wasn't into the, the ballady stuff as much. But speaking of, I probably have to sign off on these because I was actually anyway. This might be a good jumping off point. This might be actually worked perfectly. Um, before before we get to you two, then yeah, Chris, it's twelve thirty, twelve fifteen your time. We'll let you go because uh, for, for the rest of tonight, we're going to talk about songs where it's a man sitting alone at a piano, <laughs> yeah. or or a man that uh, grows a mustache and may have hair plugs. And um, he definitely we'll has hair plugs, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs>
And that's where we're going to end things tonight for the first half of our History of Nick Cave episodes. Join us next time when we are going to talk about the Boatman's Call up through Ghostine, which would get us to the modern day. And then in the episode after that, we'll have a track-by-track discussion of Henry's Dream. Thank you for joining us as always, and thank you for sticking around for the month of Nick Cave at Pod Like a Hole. Just remember that death is not the end Not the end Not the end Just remember that death is not the end When storm clouds gather around And heavy rains descend Just remember that death is not the end And there's no one there to comfort you With a helping hand to lend Just remember that death is not the end Not the end To be in love with this You know, it's, it's, a, it's the feeling that, I, that, that I've had, that I know, and it's the feeling I yearn for constantly, is to be thrown into that, that state of love. And it doesn't happen very often. Um, but it, but it, is a, it is a state, a state that you, you, you are in where you, where you are thrown in, you, you are lifted above all the mundanity of life and um, in, into a place of inspiration and, and imagination and um, to be in love uh, exemplifies you from all the details of life and suddenly nothing means anything there's only one thing that means something that is the object of your love um, when you're in that particular pure state of love I mean everything becomes meaningless it's great you know <laughs>